Welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah, and I'm here today with Jen and Ashley. This is Ashley. We'll chat about our Unabridged Book Club's pick of the month, recommend related books, and share our nerdy English teacher love of reading with our Unabridged highlights and with short episodes featuring targeted topics. To follow along with our schedule, visit our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, this is Jen. Today we're discussing Tara Westover's Educated. Westover's memoir details her childhood and coming of age in a fundamentalist Mormon family. Her parents adamantly opposed the government, education, and the healthcare system, striving to protect their seven children by isolating them on their homestead on their Idaho mountain. Tara determines that she wants to leave her home and attend college, where she becomes keenly aware of the benefits and hardships of her childhood. Her book provides an honest accounting both of her ignorance and of her endeavor to educate herself. So what'd y'all think? Um, this is Sarah, and I I did like it. I, I don't know, I don't know if it kind of goes back to some things that you've said before, Jen, about like World War II fatigue, like mm. reading. So I it hasn't been that long since I read The Sound of Gravel by um uh Ruth Wariner, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that book spoke more to me. Um, I don't know if I just connected with Ruth's character. I don't know if it was because, she, I don't know. But I did like this book. I thought it was fascinating. Um, I felt like there were a lot of um, uh, really amazing moments. And I think her use of language was mm-hmm. gorgeous. Um, so I did like it. I don't know that I liked it as much as my counterparts. <laughs> <laughs> this is Ashley, and yes, I do think I enjoy I, I was completely captivated and swept away by it. I thought it was really powerful. So yeah, that's probably true, but I, I also know what you're saying, Sarah, about um, comparative aspects mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how it's impossible when you have been, when you've read something similar yeah. um, to, com, you know, to not compare and have that influence you. And I haven't read anything at all like this in a very mm. long time. Um, and so I think consequently, that helped me enjoy it even more. But I was totally swept away by the story. Um, And I also just really enjoyed the memoir aspect of it and her attempts to manage her understanding of the world Mm -hmm. and um, to sort through her experiences as a person. And how I think what I was really interested in is the dynamics of family and how we can be true to ourselves and find ourselves, but also stay connected to our family who might be very different from us. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the story was just really compelling to me. Um, Not to mention her storytelling ability and the beautiful language. I mean, she's brilliant. Um, And just, I, I was captivated by how raw the story was and also how she was able to, just retell these really horrific events um, in a relatively neutral way mm-hmm. and just say, this is what happened and this is how I felt um, at the time. And I, I thought that was just really phenomenal. Yeah. I think that for me, the neutrality that she told the stories with, I think that was what was missing when I compare it to The Sound of Gravel because I felt like there was a lot more emotion mm-hmm. in, the, in those pages. So then when I read hers, it felt like 
an account of what happened, mm-hmm. but I I was missing the emotion. Mm-hmm. And see, for me, that's what I like. like I, <laughs> you know, when I think about authors that I really like, a lot of times what I like is the sort of, I mean, I think about like Cormac McCarthy, mm-hmm. who in yeah. his stories, these unbelievable things are happening, but it's often um, just sort of a terse recounting mm-hmm. of the events as they unfold. And I, yeah, I think I like that. Yeah. Hmm. I was, I read this on a gravel after you recommended it and I loved it. And I think I like this one more. Oh, wow. And I think it is that just unflinching, like I, mm-hmm. I started to say mm-hmm. unflinching in the summary and it's not unflinching because she, she flinches at so many things that she did because she's embarrassed by some of them. Um, but just that she will not allow herself to cover up any of her own participation in that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like she is just so honest. And some of the things I can't even imagine what it took to be honest with her, you know, for her to be honest with herself. About well, even what just simple things. things. She did. Like yeah. when you said that, it made me think of how she was like, I don't pee on my hands. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would I need to wash my hands? Yeah. I don't pee on them. So, so, so just simple stuff about, I think maybe that was part of what I really enjoyed mm-hmm. was how, um, so much of what we understand about the world, we understand by the cultural norms around us. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we don't even know it. I mean, I think about when we moved to Japan, some of the things that I thought were just absolutely fundamental to being human mm-hmm. aren't. They're mm-hmm. they're culturally learned and they're learned from a very early age. And so part of what I liked was like those kinds of social yeah. norms. I mean, it made me think, is it really necessary to wash your hands? Right. Um, you know, and wh- why do we do it? What's the purpose? And some of it is like the social mm-hmm. aspect um, more than like you're dirty necessarily, right. especially if you're in your own house or whatever, where it's not like a public, you're not mm-hmm. getting exposed to a lot of public germs. But yeah, I mean, I think it really forced you to think through that. But for me, that raw storytelling helped me think about those things yeah. instead of her talking it through. Mm-hmm. She didn't do, but you're right, Sarah. I mean, she doesn't do a lot of talking through her emotions about any of it. Mm-hmm. It's very much just saying. Yeah. Well, I think it's just filtering through her memories. Like, I really appreciated, and we'll get into this more later, but even the footnotes where she's like, since right drafting this, I have talked to this brother, you know, a lot of times it's Tyler, about what happened. And this is the way he remembers it. This is the way I remember it. This is the way Richard remembers it. I don't know which one's right because it's mm-hmm. memory, which is necessarily. And, and so I just really appreciated that, She's even honest about the fact that she might be wrong, that mm-hmm. she might in some way have misremembered it, but that the way she remembers it is key to who she has become. Mm-hmm. And that that is part of her narrative, even if maybe there's a chance that it's not factual. I think, too, for me, a lot of, um, I mean, I totally get what you guys are saying. I think a lot of it, too, was there was a lot of hype surrounding this yeah. book way before I ever got it, got to read it. Mm-hmm. And I had these expectations uh-huh. and I don't know. I thought that sometimes, like, the timeline and the narrative was a little bit ambiguous for mm-hmm. me. And, um, yeah. So, I, I, I like that we are disagreeing. <laughs> so often we we all like the book in yeah, equal yeah. amount. Well, well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, so right after I read it, I was totally captivated. I mean, I just, I loved it. I really loved um, everything that she had to say. But I was visiting with a friend um, just the last couple of days, who is a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I said something about the book, and I was just, I was trying, again, I mean, I was referencing what I just said now about what I liked about the book, that it was about, like, how far you'll go to try to reconcile things with your family mm-hmm. um, instead of, to me, I guess we'll get into this. To me, it's very apparent she should just, in my opinion, 
break from her family. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, like, her parents particularly. I mean, there's just no hope of, like, reconciling. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's my reading of the book. But anyway, I was referencing that and just seeing that it's interesting as a reader to be like, why does she keep going back? But then to understand that, and I think she does a good job of showing it is a visceral part of her mm-hmm. to desperately want to reconcile things, even though they're so fundamentally different. And, you know, they get into these issues where um, they're denying these horrible things that happened to her. I mean, it becomes really painful. Anyway, he was like, you know, it's just fascinating to think about human nature that she would write a book and then sell it to millions of people because that's how far she'll go to try to work out her story and to try to justify her attempt to keep reconnecting. And that that did color... The way I saw the book. That changed the way I saw the book a little bit. Because Mm -hmm. it was interesting to think about his perspective as a therapist was instead of like healing and moving forward, she's like bending herself back Mm -hmm. to keep trying to um, reconcile Mm -hmm. something that's irreconcilable. And of course he hadn't read the book. I mean, he is taking my perspective of what I thought in a very brief summary to do that. But it it wasn't interesting to to think about because... As a reader, I didn't consider that at all. But then it's like a lot of it is about her working through yeah. her her current situation with her parents and her desire to work things out, particularly with her mom. See, and to me, it felt more like a justification of why she wasn't going to do that. Mm-hmm. Like she was needing to justify for herself. Here are all of the times I tried and all of the things I did. And here are the ways I've moved on and the ways I couldn't. Now I'm moving on and this is why. And just... Yeah, mm-hmm. almost needing to explain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. I mean, and I think in both in both those cases, whether she's going to totally move yeah. on or not, it's this desperate mm-hmm. desire to justify. Yeah, her yeah, definitely her position. Yeah, and, and I, that and that's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that just shows you know how um, how far we go for family, and I think it shows particularly in her situation where like that's all she had right. for mm-hmm. a very very yeah. very long time that she was entirely isolated to mm-hmm. her family um, that then to give it up is to give up her childhood entirely yeah yeah I was yeah well we'll get into that too I keep I, I feel like we have so many things to get into. I do just want to say so I read it not quite in one sitting but all, as close as you can get to one sitting for a 400 page book when you have children um and which is much closer for you my kids are nearly the same age and I did not read it in one sitting <laughs> It yeah, was over was multiple cities. Yeah. Yeah. I was swept away by the story and also by the writing. It was so lovely. Mm-hmm. And so when I was going back through all the quotations, the many, many, many quotations I highlighted in my Kindle to prepare for today, I was I, I didn't reread it, but I just had a hard time glancing over many pages because mm-hmm. there was something on almost every page that was thought-provoking yeah. or just mm-hmm. a lovely sentence that stood on its own. So I think it's one of those books that uh, if I did have time to reread it um, completely, it would hold up mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, so well done. One, it's mind-blowing that she, I mean, we're all educators, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. certainly it's on the forefront of my mind that she did not attend school uh, until she was what, 17? Yeah. So she writes like this, and she's 29. She was 29 when she wrote it. Mm-hmm. So you think that's 12 years of schooling. Well, and At that a is... later point in her life than when we school yeah. kids, 
or when we start schooling children and her writing is better than most of the right. I mean, I would argue it's better than most of the writers mm-hmm. I've read recently. Well, and I think that, I mean, that was one of the highlights for me for the whole, to when I was reading was just the, I mean, the intelligence she must yeah. have just been, I mean, like, you know, give, you know, had to be able to uh, teach herself trigonometry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I didn't learn it and I had a teacher. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I couldn't do that. And then, I mean, to go to Cambridge and Harvard. Yes. And I mean, I mean, that is truly remarkable. This is um, just, I, th- I think that that, I think that her intelligence and her being able to do that just was so fascinating and remarkable Mm -hmm. and just the fact that she was willing to try like she did all of that I think about my own students and like Mm -hmm. when I think we've talked about this in podcasts before that often here in the United States students are they take their education for granted and then when I read a story like this about someone who wants so so much to be part of school and to be to learn and mm-hmm. to know things and that's what she did to take it into her own hands I mean that is remarkable yeah. well and I thought it was interesting because it became very clear like they call it homeschooling but she and her siblings were not homeschooled no. there was no program no. and yeah. she talks about her mom would tell her to go study and so she would go look at pictures for 30 minutes until her time was up mm-hmm. and they um, didn't even have books right. really other well, than that textbook yeah. that her brother that Tyler had bought mm-hmm. well that's and that's even punctuated when she's at school and in college and the and <laughs> She's to study for the exam and she's talking about the pictures, the picture book. I mean, that she didn't even know. And that her friend or the girl she was studying with was like, um, you should probably read the textbook. Well, yeah, (laughs) it's a picture book. Well, and that's what I loved. I did. That was another thing I thought was interesting is like, you don't often see an account of someone, um, who is born in America, um, who doesn't have any experience with multiple choice tests. Right. Yeah. I've seen that lots of times with um, students who've come in just to do an entrance exam mm-hmm. to be in an English program, and they can't even fill out the test because, again, that is a learned skill. Right. right. It's nothing that um, that someone would innately understand. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated that, that, you know, it just shows that it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you're from. That is a training right. mm-hmm. um, that people are conditioned to do. And so when that seems to – people sometimes, I think, jump to conclusions make right. generalizations mm-hmm. about people who do or don't know how to take right. a test essentially um and i just think it has nothing it has to do with training right and exposure mm-hmm. and those kinds of things and so of course it's not obvious yeah. what to do and how the teacher assumed that she when she went to take the act that yeah. she was making a joke mm-hmm. and being obnoxious and had to um come around to understanding like oh my gosh this Student really really doesn't doesn't know what to do. But yeah, I thought, um, so she's talking about, you know, there's an article about her and her parents are upset that she hasn't promoted homeschooling as being part of the reason for her success, (laughs) which again, she was not homeschooled. But then when you think about that, she and two of her siblings got doctorates. Yeah. It's amazing. So then, yeah, like you said, as educators, it did make me think about Uh how could that possibly happen that three of these kids were able to do that just by studying them by themselves and determining that that was what they needed to do. You know, how much mm-hmm. of it is motivation, how much of it is, I mean, clearly there's some gifts. There, yeah. But, right. But, because but, you look at the other, yeah. Motivation and drive mm-hmm. and those kinds of things and how much of an impact that has. And I think, I mean, my, you know, my husband and I have talked about that with grad school that like, you wind up being such a better student. The older you get and the more you appreciate the thing that you're studying, right? the better of a student you are and how I you know, wish that I could go back and take some of that time, particularly when I was a teenager, 
when I was old enough to be able to really read all the difficult texts and uh, have some understanding of them, that I wish I'd use more of that time that I had because once you become an adult, you don't have the same quantity of time to devote to that. But it, yeah. I mean, it's a lack of motivation, a lack of um, awareness of your privilege. I mean, those mm-hmm. kinds of things that keep kids from doing that, you know? Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about Tara's father, who is definitely, I mean, I would say he is, for me, the figure who stands out most in her childhood. Her mother's very important, but her father seems to be the one who drives the decisions of the family. Yeah. Um, what did you all think? Like, how, how are you feeling about her dad, Gene, as the book began and then as it progressed and you started to learn more about him? I mean, I think he epitomizes a lot of what I despise in the patriarchy. So right away, I felt like um, it's hard to see how abrasive he is about mm-hmm. his view of the world and that that should be everyone's view and that he has the right to determine what all of them do and how they do it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that part stood out to me. But then I was kind of amazed um, as things progressed, how much he did support her mom mm-hmm. and, um, and how much he came to value what she, you know, her mid- midwifery. And mm-hmm. then, um, ultimately like with the oils and the healing and all of that, um, how he embraced that. But, you know, she is quick to point out that that was very profitable right. for them. Um, and that there was definitely a benefit for him as far as, um, financial comfort. Right. Right. Yeah. Same. Um, I thought that, I thought it was interesting, um, the way that Tara and her father's, um, relationship progressed. I found it fascinating her, even in the midst of her, you know, having, um, basically a breakdown and, but she was still always wanted that, I mean, the fact that she still wanted them to come to that breakfast when yeah. he was like, I don't know, if something get, if something comes across me, I'm going to say right. it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she still was like, fine, I want yeah. you to be there. Right. It was just, I thought that whole thing was fascinating. Um, and then, I mean, I thought, I thought she did a really good job in the book of, um, I mean, all these horrific things were happening, but she was also managed to... Um, talk about these tender moments yeah. with the like mm-hmm. with Sean and with the, with her dad, like when she was doing the music and the plays. I mean, I, that was just so bizarre to me as an outsider looking mm-hmm. in that her dad was so supportive of that. Yeah. I mean, part of it was his narcissistic personality where she yeah. he was getting this praise mm-hmm. for her being so successful. But there also seemed to be tender moments between the two. So I felt like, and with her and Sean as well. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. felt. I mean, I thought those relationships, like you said before, Ashley, the familial relationships within this novel are fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, I mean, I was captivated by those. Yeah, yeah I thought those moments were the most fascinating to yeah. me because, you know, it, when she's in college and she hears the definition of bipolar disorder mm-hmm. and has this revelation that, that that is what her father has, or certainly that it describes his behavior. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, or not exactly the same time, but when she thinks she's not going to be able to go back to college and the person she calls is her father and then he provides comfort for her. So he has not wanted her to go to college, Yeah, but he tells her that she'll find a way through. And so, yeah, just those inconsistencies were really fascinating because she does such a good job of, of creating this, person for us who is representative of the patriarchy Mm -hmm. and there are moments 
that that's yeah that he is able to step outside of that um yeah just yeah. so fascinating I, I appreciated that all of the edges on the character on the people mm-hmm. who become characters to us weren't neat mm-hmm. that everybody mm-hmm. didn't have to fit into this I mean we'll definitely get to Sean a lot but it would be really easy to paint them as one-sided people that this right. is the only thing that they represent for her but it's those moments that you see why she does want to maintain relationships yeah. with them even after being you know, beaten down or, I mean, the peril that she's put in by her father's decisions oh over oh. and over just is was unbelievable to me. I just mm-hmm. kept thinking at some point he was going to realize what he was doing to his kids and stop. I know. But, um, yeah, those moments where you see that he, he could be a good father to her as well were really moving. I think even more so because they were so shocking when they happened. Right. Well, I think, too, like... Um, when I reading the book, I mean, I, most of the time where I was just livid and couldn't stand Sean and the, and mm-hmm. his, and the father, but I would have to say that the person in the story that I most despised was her mother, mm-hmm. because as a mother myself, I feel like my, I mean, like I would do anything to protect my children, mm-hmm. no matter what. And the fact that she allowed, I mean, part of it is the institution in which they they put their faith and their Mm -hmm. trust um and the expectations of that but um I think like I just still as a mother like I feel like I have this primal instinct to protect my children Mm -hmm. and that doesn't have anything to do with my faith or with it's just it is like a natural yeah natural instinct and I mean her being complicit in all of that was just infuriating to me and the fact that she would pay her lip service at times and give her this hope i just was it just yeah i made it worse see that underneath her buying into it she did have some knowledge uh-huh. that there were things wrong with it because she would speak right. out against it long enough like you said to give tara hope but then that made it worse when it was yanked back. Well, yeah. I don't think it was, I, I don't feel like it was lip service. I mm-hmm. think in those moments, she truly believed, I mean, it's shallow, absolutely. But I yeah. think in those moments, she believed she could be strong enough, mm-hmm. but she couldn't. Yeah. And I think that was part of what Tara did a great job of showing, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, with Sean, is because relationships are so complex. Yeah. And because we love people, even with their flaws, and we accept their flaws, it causes us sometimes to continue to be complicit in something mm-hmm. that is horribly wrong. Yeah. But I just, I felt like it was lip service because she never intended on telling her father what was happening. Right. Like, I mean, that became obvious several times. I mean, she said that she was going to do this and then she didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe if she did it once, it was because of her own fears and hesitations mm-hmm. about, you know, going against what, what her belief system was Mm -hmm. but like she did it several times and like the fact that she kept telling telling tara that and then reneging on it i felt like that's why i guess i felt it was lip Mm -hmm. service yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, you saw that with Audrey also. Yeah. But then again, I mean, I think But I think it's all part of that establishment. Yeah. That's exactly it. I feel like the women in the establishment meant to stand up for themselves and for each other. I mean, you know, it really, it was all the stuff with Emily that really brought out, was it Emily or it, well, it started with Emily, but anyway, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, Sean being abusive toward people who were outside of just their family Mm -hmm. that made them feel like they had to speak out so that it would stop. Right. But then none of them 
could do it. Mm-hmm. None of them could mm-hmm. rise above and be strong enough to really uh, make a change. Right. Well, and I mean, I guess if you think about the trajectory that Tara took in order to be able to speak out, I mean, like there mm-hmm. were so many times where she went back as well. Yeah. I mean, it mm-hmm. took being totally separated, going through a breakdown for her mm-hmm. to be able to, and I mean, some in part, like even at the end, part of me was like, there could there could be a chance that she would go back. Yes. I mean, because I think there's always that that yeah. that string that that draws her to the mountain. Excommunication was Sean's decision. It was right. That's right. True. That's right. Yeah. So she dealt with the aftermath and eventually stopped trying to get back in. Yeah. But it was because. Yeah, and I mean, it was life threatening. Yeah. Essentially, oh, that was so I feel like you know, and she might have, she might have been able to tell herself that he wouldn't really go that far, mm-hmm. but it was certainly like, you know, he certainly as far as the threats were concerned and history would suggest that it was life threatening that finally made her mm-hmm. just follow up on what he was making happen. Yeah. At parts, it was almost like watching a horror movie. You're like, don't get in the car. Don't get in the car. Yes. Don't go. Th- I mean, and well, you're, yeah, you're like, like, don't, don't, don't do that. No. The fact that she introduced it. Yeah. Let's just talk about Sean because yeah. I feel like he is so at the center of uh-huh. this narrative that she introduced him in such, in such a good way because they have, you know, he comes back home. They have this great trip cross country, long haul trucking when you they're tender and they're playing word mm-hmm. games and he's giving her advice and he's teaching her and then there's just self-defense that yes. was the <laughs> irony just the shift when he becomes this abuser the center of her world is an abuser even yeah i mean her dad i definitely think is abusive but in a i mean physical abuse just the way he talks down to her and diminishes who she is and calls her fish eyes and oh and gosh. worse terms later but starts with fish eyes and just makes her question her femininity and uh, oh my gosh so just that shift from this really tender relationship with a big brother he think is going to be this great figure for i knew that there was a brother who abused her and i have to admit as i was reading i thought it was going to be richard i thought it was going to be anybody but sean mm-hmm. because she so effectively presented him as this great big brother and i'm sure that's the way she felt too just this yeah, utter betrayal of someone who was a role model for her. Well, but I think for a long time, she didn't even... I mean, that's part of why the story to me is so powerful. Because she shows that even when he is horribly abusing Mm -hmm. her, that she still adores him. Right. And I mean, that's the narrative of abuse. Pitiful apologies and gifts. Well, Mm -hmm. and I think he meant them. I mean, I think that that, that... And I mean, that, again, is like what I found so powerful about that part of the book is that... um, you love people so deeply mm-hmm. that when you love them like that and they do these things, you tolerate it yeah. over and over and over again. And I think it wasn't until much later, like her telling the story, you can see mm-hmm. where she feels some sense of betrayal. But I think she does in that um, stark, raw narrative of what happened and those accounts. I mean, her talking about the laughing and the hysteria mm-hmm. and trying to convince everyone that everything is fine. Well, the, is even that in her journal, she devotion to it. Yeah, the trying to yeah. re-remember. Mm-hmm. That if I can just remember it the right way, mm-hmm. that it was my fault, that mm-hmm. it happened, that things spiraled out of control. Mm. It was heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I... It was such an effective way to characterize... I mean, that epitomized her childhood for me. 
and her coming of age for me um, and really symbolized what was wrong with their entire mm-hmm. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That it had beautiful moments and that there mm-hmm. are definitely things that were great about living on this mountain mm-hmm. and, and finding their own way and being self-sufficient, but that then there were also these really ugly things about it. Um, and that ultimately the ugliness is going to outweigh anything that's good. Well, and that the isolation makes that worse. Mm-hmm. It makes them more susceptible, more yeah. vulnerable. Um, and that the few people who tried to speak out against it, you know, like Clark, who... Mm-hmm. It was Clark. Wait, which one? You know, you're right about um, there being so many Yeah, characters. there are a lot of characters. Um, do you mean Charles? Charles, yeah. yeah. So even Charles, who sees it and tries to speak out is an outsider Mm -hmm. and is a threat to her whereas if she had a larger community of people who love her and know her she would have had more opportunity I think to break away I mean as we see as she becomes more educated Mm -hmm. and has um, community outside of her own community uh, outside of her tiny insular community that um, it's more likely that she can get out and Mm -hmm. that people um, can get out of those situations but I just felt like she saw all of it as part of this person she loved yeah. and that mm-hmm. that was the price to pay mm-hmm. for the love that they shared and that she would pay it yeah. over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm. The, um, when they have, when she's on the horse that runs away mm-hmm. and she yeah. knows that her instinct is not to wait for Sean to save her and she acts against her instincts and then he does save her. I just felt like that was such a good representation of how she felt about the relationship. Mm-hmm. That all of her instincts are telling her to get away from this person. Um, and yet, there's something in her that can't help but wait for him to save her in some way. Um, yeah. oh and gosh. I think, I mean, I felt frustration. Like you were saying, Sarah, about um, her mom. Yeah. I felt a lot of frustration at Tyler. Yeah. He was letting those things happen. But then... I think about what struck me about the book and how it was her continual attempts to hold on to something that to me was irreparably broken that I'm sure that Tyler, and he did a lot, you know, throughout, he has clearly tried to support her mm-hmm. and I think she showed that, but I think it seems, I'm assuming that he would have just had to say, I am washing my hands of this because yeah. that is what I have to do to live my life and be true to myself. And I can't get everybody out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he encouraged her to apply to BYU. He encouraged her to take the GRE. Um, you know, he did all of those things to try to help her save herself, mm-hmm. basically. But he couldn't. He couldn't save her. Yeah, yeah. Well, she even has that moment early in the book when her grandmother gives her a way out. When her grandmother yeah. is plotting with her to take her so she can enroll in school, and Tara chooses not to leave. So I just, yeah, that. The fact that over and over through the book, she has a chance to get away, and it takes her so long to finally get there mm-hmm. um, is really striking. So I wanted to talk as well, this is one of the parts for me that stood out, perhaps because I was raised by a nurse. <laughs> well, I know that the healthcare system has problems, I also <laughs> firmly believe that it does a lot of good. Just there... So the accidents that happen over and over, oh again, goodness. because of her father's decisions, they yeah. are, most of them are very avoidable. And then the fact that over and over again, they cho- choose not to get care that could help them. And that we see the after effects of these accidents. I mean, there's the the first one that really struck me was when they decide to come back from Arizona and they mm-hmm. have the horrible accident um, and her mother has it, a brain damage, brain injury, yeah. right? Yeah, that has after effects forever, and that 
Well, and that was interesting to me, too, because that's the one time that Tara says, my dad asks, should I call an ambulance? And then she says, I think I remember saying that. So even there, you have this question of whether he actually said it or did Tara just want him to have asked that question? Um, you know, what did you all think? Was there any sort of arc for you in the way you thought about their decision not to seek medical attention? Or <laughs> I mean for me yeah I mean I every time I mean and then the fact that they, that he kept taking these huge risks with the lives of his children mm-hmm. and his wife multiple times like the second time when they're in Arizona and they decide to leave oh and gosh. there's oh a, and there is no there are no seatbelts they're all in the back on a mattress and then he and I mean there's another were, you know they were saying yeah. didn't you just didn't we just <laughs> yeah. have this experience before like why would we do it Be- again and then um, the needing to pull over and stop, and yeah. her dad's like, "No, no, mm-hmm. I can't remember if that was the first accident or something." I can't either. I, I mean, anyway, where he's like, "We're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep yeah. going." I mean, wh- why? why? Yeah, why? Why would you have ever put? But I mean, I think so. On the one hand, about the the health care aspect, it's hard to imagine because her parents, I imagine, had exposure to mm-hmm. health care. As, as it is, right? So they mm-hmm. had probably taken medicines. Mm-hmm. They were probably vaccinated. We don't know all of the backstory, but based on what we know about the grandparents, mm-hmm. it seems that that's probably true. So then it's interesting to me to think they turned away from that and then never turned back. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, to the kids, so that's I was looking back at the quote where Tara says, this is when Luke was burned, and she says, I believed mm-hmm. hospital drugs were an abomination to God, but if I'd had morphine that night, I'd have given it to Luke. The pain robbed him of breath. He lay propped on his bed, beads of sweat falling from his forehead onto his chest, holding his breath until he turned red, then purple, as if depriving his brain of oxygen was the only way he could make it through the next minute. When the pain in his lungs overtook the pain of the burn, he would release the air in a great gasping cry, a cry of relief for his lungs, for his lungs, of agony for his leg. Mm -hmm. And I think, and there were lots of moments like that where I can see that as a child, if you are raised to believe it's an abomination to God mm-hmm. and you have always had the alternatives presented, I mean, it's just as radical for her to think right. about going to the hospital or getting medicine as it would be for us to never use it mm-hmm. again. So I think I could see the children's perspective there mm-hmm. of not even thinking to call 911 right. or not even thinking, you know. Um, so I feel like that part made sense, but then for the parents, it, it is hard to imagine, like like you said about the accident mm-hmm. where he was like, should I call the ambulance, and like, did he really ask that, and we don't know, but how did he not, in these moments of dire consequence, how did they not call for help? Mm-hmm. I mean, at what mm-hmm. point, and then, you know, when she took Sean, when he had the, the accident, when his brain was and his, she could oh see gosh. the brain matter. And then she felt guilty that she'd taken him because, because he was going to be okay. <laughs> he was going to be okay, and because um, she remembered from the previous profound head injury that the doctor was like, "The less you see, the worse it is." Yeah, but I mean that you know she felt like she'd made the wrong decision, and I just think that um, was astounding to me. And then I, I loved the part too where she was like judging Tyler. Because they weren't doing more with medical care. And then she finally was like, I need to be vaccinated. Like, if I am going to say that that's, like, backwards and ignorant, then, like, I have to take this step. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard one for her to take. So I think that's really interesting to think about how much it takes 
to kind of convince yourself mm-hmm. that it's okay to do those things. Or like when Charles hands her the ibuprofen. I was going to say that one yeah. was huge for me because her mother had given her, I can't remember all the names of all of the oils, but yeah. whatever that particular remedy was mm-hmm. that her mother had always given her. And she's like, oh, it takes a couple of days to work. And then you realize that it has never worked. Eventually right. the pain a couple, just goes away. A couple away. of days is because the headache only lasts a couple of days or <laughs> the fever or whatever. this revelation that she feels better and like she keeps trying Testing. to feel for the pain. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not funny, but it was kind of funny. Yeah. Like just that. Yeah. And how, uh, how strange it probably looked to Charles, but it was just this revelation for her. When that um, moment of indecision of like, you know, is she going to uh, take the medicine? Oh my gosh. Or and like then, with Sean, when she was debating whether to take him to the hospital mm-hmm. and her dad's like, we'll just bring him on home. Yeah. And she almost did. But well, I think that shows how, how tight of um, grip he had on her. Mm-hmm. Well, when, so two things stood out to me, which was one with Emily's pregnancy, um, Emily's pregnancy with, uh, the premature baby. Oh I was oh furious during that part. I mean, and then like just the way she described that, the way the baby came out yeah. and that he was only one, a little over a pound and all of that. I mean, that is when I, I got angry. <laughs> like that someone didn't step in and say this, you know, her mother didn't say this baby clearly needs some sort of attention that we cannot mm-hmm. provide. And then of course her dad's accident with the, um, exploding oh, gas, yeah. and the Goodness. fact that they treated him at home for that for those third degree burns, and um, I just could. I mean, I just I was in shock. Like I could not yeah. believe that they that that was treated right. uh, was an injury that was treated at home. Well, particularly what drove me crazy about um, Emily was the second child. Yeah, when they didn't. Well, yeah, when because, they, like, Tara the even they, says, they should yeah, have. yeah. They, of course they should have gone for the first one. Um, but then when they already knew, because if you'd already had that much of a high risk pregnancy, like right. why on earth would you not have any care for this? Like, and then same with, um, like the car accidents, mm-hmm. like you've already had that happen one time. Why would you do it again? Yeah. Sean with the brain injury. Mm-hmm. But in with everything, even the dad, after he had that explosive, the explosion happened and he was burned so badly. He said, he was like, as soon as I can get out there, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. Because... Yeah. It's well, a because badge of his, honor. Yeah. It's yeah. a badge of honor, and it's that God will protect him. Yeah. So one of the striking things for me, because I feel like the dad's attitude is pretty solid through the book, but her <laughs> mother, so when her dad first decides that her mother will become a midwife, her mother is resistant because mm-hmm. she doesn't feel like she is qualified to do it, and she's not. Um, and she is afraid that something could seriously go wrong with one of these mothers and that something could happen to the baby. So watching her... As she gets into the muscle testing and then becomes more and more convinced of her own powers, um, that was really interesting for me because she just, it was like she just delved deeper and deeper into believing, like when she said she's going to send the healing to Tara when she's in England. Yeah. Or when Tara finally decides to take an antibiotic and her mother sends her the remedy, not for the strep throat and mono, but the remedy is for the antibiotic to get that out of her system. All of that just showed, you know, why her mother couldn't get out from under Mm -hmm. her father because she just came, became more and more deeply, I don't want to say, I don't know, just convinced. Rooted. Well, I think that that was fascinating because her mom seemed so mousy and weak at first and then really became quite powerful. Mm -hmm. And that 
to Tara, she had really grown in mm-hmm. some ways. But then, I mean, all of her empowerment came from these deeply rooted systems yeah. that, you know, most people would be critical of. Again, it, in isolation. That, like, mm-hmm. at least, I mean, I think, you know, we don't have to get in a whole debate about healthcare, but it's fine to have different approaches right. and, like, try natural remedies. And um, I do think, you know, a lot of times we swing the other way mm-hmm. um, in our culture. But you don't have to take it that far. I mean, like, with the high-risk pregnancy, why would you, right. when clearly there would have very likely been ways to um, help keep the keep her from going into labor mm-hmm. that would have made for a much healthier child. Right. I mean, I mean, when I think about that with the boys, I had high-risk pregnancies with both. And I just think about how frightening that is. They are both healthy kids. And, yeah, I put that down largely to the healthcare system uh-huh. because that would not have happened otherwise. Um, well, and I think, you know, I use midwives. Right. But I they work very closely with doctors. Mm-hmm. And so I had friends who in our group did have higher risk pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And then the midwives and the doctors work together right. to make sure that they're doing everything they can to ensure the safest delivery and com- you know, protection and comfort of the mother and the child as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like that, that, to me, that's a great partnership. I mean, the new benefit from modern, mm-hmm. uh, from all the things we've learned in, in the modern world and, um, with with modern medicine but you also can kind of pay you know you can pay tribute mm-hmm. to the history of childbirth right and the way that this has happened since we've had humanity without having to completely turn away from the idea of having any mm-hmm. use of medicines and um, other methods that they have to to protect the baby and the mom well like yeah. you said earlier Sarah, when it's your kids i just yeah. feel like that's different like it you is. can make Certain decisions for yourself, and that's fine. But when it's your kids, how can you not take that extra step to protect them and and care for them in every way possible? Well, I think part of what was shocking, too, um, is how risky her dad, how much he gambled with everyone's life all the time. I think, again, I mean, I've I've known people. I mean, we had friends who... um, have several children and they do not do insurance and they mm-hmm. don't go to the doctor hardly ever. Um, but they don't gamble with their kids' lives right. either. Like so, the stuff in the junkyard. Oh my gosh. With the way her dad would just slinging the metal. Propel metal or the big shears. That yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. That was so horrible. I mean, when and, even Sean steps forward and says, this is too far. <laughs> but I, that, so that, that was an interesting moment to me too, is that, there were a lot of times where Sean was the only... So even though he was also an abuser, he was a person of power yeah. in the book. Mm-hmm. And he was really the only one who would stand up to his dad and yeah. say, Tara's not doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to do it if anyone's going to do it. And then he's, you know, and then the dad's like, well, I can't afford for my foreman right. to be the one running the shears. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it was interesting to see those power dynamics yeah. because, because again, and I think, and I agree with you, Sarah, about the mom and how she is to blame for mm-hmm. a lot of things. But then I also couldn't get over the power dynamics in the book yeah, and how Sean and Jean were the ones who ran the show. Mm-hmm. And everyone else, every time they tried to empower themselves or take control or make even just assert a decision a decision for themselves mm-hmm. how quickly that all got squashed and, yeah you know um and put down and I felt like the shears were an example yeah. of that 
And another example of that that really was small but spoke to me is when they were working on the scaffolding and he told her to go get, and she didn't have on any type of, you know, harness or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And, and that was when Sean was mad at her. They were in a, and Mm -hmm. and she looked at to Sean for that protection and he was like, no, go get it. Yep. Go get it. So that again, it's that power thing. Just on, on a whim. Yeah. Because of how you're, yeah, it's not an overall protective thing. It's well, right now I'm mad at you, so I'm not going to protect you. Right. And I think the, that's where going back to like, there's a profound connection in the book between the rejection of healthcare Mm -hmm. and the, way that they all function yeah Mm -hmm. because even though we know that sean's personality um that he had some stuff going on prior to -hmm. those brain injuries it seems very likely that all of that stuff is intensified the long it seems like it gets worse in the book and so then you're just like how much is and i mean she says that about her mom she's Uh like she's never been quite the same and even she would admit Mm -hmm. that since that brain injury she's not quite the same um and so I feel like, you know, she does a good job of showing that. But again, I think she does it. I appreciated how I think she really showed that to her parents, like her dad living through that. Oh, my gosh. Explosion. Explosion. Well, yeah. even how much. That, of course, to him, that is just confirmation mm-hmm. that God will protect him and that he doesn't need any kind of health care other than her mom. Right. I mean, I think, you know, so I, I felt like Tara did show how. They could feel validated mm-hmm. and um, ensure themselves that the choices they were making were the right choices. Well, I mean, and like from that moment when she, when he had that accident and she used that salve and all mm-hmm. that, how many of her gallons of that salve that mm-hmm. she used, I mean, like that's really like ingrained them in that community yeah. almost as like. They're like celebrities. Or, like, yeah, like, like mythical. Yeah, yes. Mythical and people wanted to be around them. And so, I mean. Yeah, their right. their all actions were validated. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. all that Absolutely. feeds the, feeds their mentality. Yeah. So the book is called Educated, um, and so I do want to talk. <laughs> we could talk about this book for days. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot. I do want to talk about just her education. Um, so we we mentioned that she is homeschooled, but it's not really homeschooling. Um, by any yeah, most people who homeschool do not homeschool this way. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> So, but then she decides that she's going to go to college because Tyler has, has taught himself what he needs. He, he passed, they call it passing the ACT and he gets in the school and then Tara decides that she's going to, she's only 16, um, which yeah, anyway, Amazing. there's a whole lot of age stuff here and that we could get into. But so the moment for me that was most striking is when she's in her class and she sees there's a, a painting that her professor mm-hmm. puts up or a photograph of, of, I can't remember which, of a man holding a piece of paper with a word on it. And she says, what's that word? And everybody assumes that she's making a joke and the word is Holocaust. And she realizes that she has never learned about the Holocaust, that she doesn't know what that is. Maybe she heard the word once in reference to something else, but certainly not the Holocaust. And from then on, it's just a series of her realizing all of the things that she just does not know. That people assume these things are common knowledge and she has never even heard about it. Like the civil rights movement that she assumes that well, they Martin Luther King, wrong and that it that was he... during the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. Because it must have been 1860s and not 1960s because she's never heard well, of the civil rights movement. she can't fathom. Right. So, so that just, could, yeah, go on I mean, it was just, yeah. But I, I love what she said about the Boston Tea Party and comparing... You know, the the few people who died 
Oh, to yeah. Yes. And I felt like I, I appreciated that example because I just think it shows so much how the storyteller mm-hmm. determines the impact of the story mm-hmm. and that, you know, she was just horrified that that tiny incident had been such a big thing to her yeah. father. And yet this other horrific act that was a complete genocide of a people mm-hmm. group, she knew nothing about mm-hmm. because it didn't matter to her dad, basically. Yeah. yeah. It really shows you the lens with which something is presented mm-hmm. and how that can um, color your thoughts on this something. And so, I mean, I think about that just as in being an educator mm-hmm. and um, teaching um, students who have come from diverse backgrounds, but also not diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Like, so both in class and then how that, that can, how that can color the way that we view the world yeah. and it might not be their fault, but that is the way that, I mean, this is a book is a great example of that. Um, but what I wanted to say about her education is it, so she comes from this background that was so, um, stifling and, um, uh, just th- that she couldn't get what she wanted and what she needed in terms of education and how fortunate I thought she was that she had such amazing mentors yeah. throughout the course of her education from the beginning to the end. And that these people that mm-hmm. believed in her, even when she didn't believe in herself, I mean, that is pretty remarkable. Come having, com- I mean like the two um, different dynamics yes. and different extremes of that coming from that place of oppression to this place where these people only want what is best for her. And mm-hmm. I thought that it was nice to see her catch a break in yeah. that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, well, from the bishop who initially yeah. counsels her. And at first she's supposed to meet him because she keeps refusing all these men's advances <laughs> and she should be getting married. Mm-hmm. But then he becomes this real source of strength for her. I mean, both financially that in that he says you need to accept help. Right. And just that she can finally talk through some of the experiences and begin I think that's her first time that she's willing to hear an outsider's perspective, mm-hmm. even if she doesn't completely believe it yet, that mm-hmm. there could be another perspective. Just being able to hear it from him means a lot yeah. to the way she can then start to examine her life and who she is. Yeah. yeah. Like I loved when she had one of the encounters with Sean after having those talks with him and she says, um, you know, about the, um, that this is an instance of manipulation and violence or whatever the two words were. And she was like, those aren't my term. Those were not my terms. They were his, but I was learning to fit them into my life. Mm -hmm. And so I really think, yeah, I mean, having to um, reassess the entire way that you see the world um, and feeling it shake under you and having to um, find, find a way to stand yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. to continue to function is really powerful. That's what I, I really appreciated um, where she kind of had that standoff with her parents about Sean mm-hmm. toward the end mm-hmm. where she goes to the bathroom and she looks in the mirror and she feels like those oh, are all yeah. the times where she had just called upon this former self. Even though she changed in a lot of ways, she still could find that in herself to um, you know, bend down to mm-hmm. them and to fit the, the tiny little container that they wanted her to fit inside and so I was looking at that quote where she just said um that night I called on her and she didn't answer Mm -hmm. she left me she stayed in the mirror the decisions I made after that moment were not the ones she would have made they were the choices of a changed person a new self you could call this selfhood many things transformation metamorphosis falsity betrayal 
I call it an education. I love. I had that one marked too. I just just thought it was so powerful because I think in that listing of the different things that you could um, quantify that moment as, that's the one that she's choosing to define her narrative. As in, she knows that she's making that choice. So there are a lot of different ways to read the actions that she's taking. And that, of course, people in her family are making the, you know, are are looking at her decision in many different ways. Mm -hmm. But that that's how she's learned to move forward. Yeah. Hey, this is Jen. So before we start with our pairings, I just wanted to remind everyone that for the Unabridged Book Club, hashtag Unabridged Book Club, um, you can follow along on our website and on Facebook where we're having discussions. And then if you're local, you can also come to our local book club meetings. So, and follow us on Instagram. All right, so um, what did you all pair with Educated? Go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my pairing, well, I have two. Um, one is what the one that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, The Sound of Gravel by Ruth Wariner. And it is also about a fundamentalist Mormon um, family community. However, this is also um, talks about plural marriages, and which um, educated did not get into. That's kind of at the forefront of this novel. Um, and it is um, another gritty story about um the about this community about her life within her family and um the trials and tribulations that she has it is um like i said gritty it is horrific but it has stuck with me a very very long time so that is the sound of gravel by ruth wariner the other one that I wanted to mention is one that um, I loved, but it has been a hot minute since I've read it. So I'm not going to talk about it in very much detail at all, but um, but it's called Tender at the Bone, Growing Up at the Table by Ruth Reichel. And um, in this book is a memoir. It's a um, food memoir, which I'm always here for. Mm-hmm. And um, she has a challenging um, childhood. She has some issues with her parents. Um, there's, there are mental health issues within her family. And, um, I think that it would also be a good pairing for, um, educated. So that is Tender at the Bone, Growing Up at the Table by Ruth Reichel. Awesome. Um, this, yeah, those both sound great. Uh, this is Ashley and I wanted to talk about the Poisonwood Bible by Barbara King Solver. Um, it has been quite a while since I've read this, but I've read it multiple times. Um, and I love, the story, I think it's really powerful. Um, it is an account of um, a family of missionaries who go from um, the United States. They're evangelical Baptist missionaries, and um, they go to the Congo. Um, and it's set in, uh, Goodreads says 1959. I was thinking like it's set kind of back a ways. Um, but it is the account of the four children and the wife of um, this evangelical minister, um, father, the, the preacher who um, who kind of domineers over their life, and then it's an account of their experiences. So what's really neat about it is you get the voice of, mostly it's the, the voice of the girls who are telling the story. Um, so it's four, um, four girls that he has, four daughters. 
but you also get traces of the account of the mom um, and it's just really powerful because um, it just shows, you know, the family has great intentions, but the father um, in his drive um, is really corrupted in a lot of ways um, and does a lot of a lot of damage instead of um, the good that he's intending to do. Um, and then it's also just the price that the family pays for his choices. Um, and they really, um, you know, it gets into, um, it, it also is a great post-colonial book because it really shows the impact of colonization on um, a society and the ways that that, um, just that resi the residual effects of that. So there's a lot of unpacking of, um, I, like I've read it with Things Fall Apart before um, Chinua Achebe's book um, and paired them together because it just does a nice job of showing the impact of one culture when they apply things that they think that they know better basically um, how that can impact another community. Um, so I really like that but I also I just love, I'm, I'm always here for a story that has multiple perspectives um, and each of the daughters is very distinct in their um, way that they understand what happens um, but you know, I think it just, it, it's an amazing story. So, um, again, that's the Poisonwood Bible and it's by Barbara Kingsolver and it's been around a while, but it is a phenomenal read. Um, so my pairing is one probably a lot of people are familiar with, but I, I think it's a great match. It's Jeanette Wall's The Glass Castle. Oh, I love that. Mm. Yeah, it's another memoir and it just... There are a lot of things that are reminiscent. So it opens with a scene. Walls is in, I think she's in New York, and she sees this woman um, picking through a dumpster, and she realizes that it's her mother. Mm. And so then it sort of backtracks and tells the story of her childhood. Um, and, and like Tara Westover, Jeanette Walls very much loves her family. She loves her dad. Her dad is sort of this heroic figure for her, but he is also deeply flawed and makes a lot of decisions that harm the family. Like you both said, it's been a while since I've read this one to you. But um, I offer this a lot as a, as a choice in my classes. And we had some teachers who taught a whole class. And students just loved it because the, the writing is great. It's a compelling read. It moves very, very quickly through um, her childhood and just the story of what they go through. So they go through a period where they are sort of camping at all of these different locations. They have this trailer. And then at one point, um, they go to live in West Virginia with, I think it's her mom's family. I don't know if you all remember, but I think it's with her mother's family. And um, they see this whole other way of life that is also a very isolated way of life. So she goes from like two very different but similarly isolated lifestyles. And you just see, again, the impact of how, how she develops and who she considers herself to be as a result of um, the way she's raised and, and who she, how she thinks about her parents at different stages in her development of self. So it is such a good book. And I think, yeah, I think these are similar enough, but they're also different enough that hopefully if you've got a little memoir fatigue, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe it wouldn't trigger that too much. But yeah, so that's The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. Um, and I do want to say, just like The Glass Castle, I think you could teach educated. I think you could teach a whole class for older students. I think it would be a great lit circle choice. Um, you could definitely teach it as an example of memoir. I think it would be excellent to talk about the way that she achieves her memoir. So I think it would work really well in the classroom. And I think a lot of students would be really interested in it. And while it's gritty, um, and certainly there are controversial things to talk about. I don't think it, it confronts things that would be too much for kids to handle. I don't know what y'all think. 
Yeah, I agree that definitely in the high school classroom, for lit circles, it would work great. I do think it could be taught whole class, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it works well. I think a wide range of students would like it, and I think it confronts some important issues in our society, um, things like health care, the role of religion, um, family dynamics, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but it also... It's really extreme in Mm -hmm. some ways, and um, sometimes that makes things easier to talk about because even if, um, you know, they're working through some of those issues, it feels removed enough Mm -hmm. from a lot of, I mean, kids in public school, it's going to be removed from their experience somewhat, Um, and so I think that that helps you, just like you said, Jen. I mean, there are horrible and extreme things that happen, but um, I really appreciate all of the issues that it works through, mm-hmm. um, but does so, I think, with tenderness and um, understanding. Yeah, I mean, I think even her criticism of her parents' um, religious views, I think, is understand. It's within the light of the fact that it is very much the way her parents have mm-hmm. chosen to um, interpret everything and move forward and not a commentary on Mormonism at large or um, Christian religion at large. And mm-hmm. so, I, I mean, I like... All yeah. of that, because I think that, and same with um, healthcare stuff. I think that she does a great job of not being critical of different approaches. Just like like I was saying before with mid- midwifery, which I mean I I love um, the midwives that I've used. She's not critical of those things mm-hmm. in general. She's just observing what happens when it goes to an extreme yeah. and what that means. And she, so I feel like that's mm-hmm. great for kids to think about. Yeah, her comment through. at the beginning of the book specifically says that she's not commenting on like she mentions Mormonism. She's not commenting on Mormonism as a whole. She is commenting, like you said, on her parents, the way they implement that really, that's a weird yeah. word. You know what I'm saying? The way that they It's just their interpretation. Yeah. In and their I, lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, we didn't talk a whole lot before about that, but I think, I mean, I love, she talks about how in her dissertation, she looks at the role of Mormonism as part of the narrative mm-hmm. of America. And I think that that just shows that um, she has great interest in and respect for that movement at, at, a, at you know, in, as the way that it fits into our cultural um, tapestry yeah. in America, um, but that she's showing what it looks like when, you know, things go to the extreme that they do for her family. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about middle school? <laughs> um, I think probably not for middle school. Yeah. I mean, I think there may be some very mature eighth graders that may be able to read this and um but i do think i mean it's pretty heavy mm-hmm. for middle school students yeah. and probably difficult to read yeah also. yeah yeah That's true. um yeah i just i think it could i i don't know that it would be a great choice for middle school however i did have students when i was teaching um eighth grade that uh, that loved the book a child called it by dave mm-hmm. peltzer and although um the the stories are different. There are some, some of the same themes in um, that book. I would probably wouldn't teach it whole class, but mm-hmm. I would uh, provide it as an option for my students. Um, but I wouldn't teach, teach a child called it um, full class because of the, I mean, that could have triggers. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had students who have been abused and yeah. mm-hmm. um, I feel like that should be a choice to read mm-hmm. something like that. But, but I mean, there are options that are along the same vein of um, educated that, that could go for middle school students. Mm-hmm. But in terms of educated, I think it's just a little mature for middle school students. Do 
Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We would love to hear them. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, on Instagram and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, and on the web at unabridgedpod.com. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.